This is the audio version of the Fleet Street Fox column for Monday, April the 4th, 2022. The real reason why Prince Andrew isn't going away. Historians of the future will devote books, doctorates and entire symposiums to the question of what the hell goes on in Prince Andrew's mind. See a dodgy banker? Make friends, holiday, schmooze the girls that seem to always hang around, ignore the child abuse guilty plea, let your ex-wife take a loan, then sweat for a decade before you decide to say sorry. See another dodgy banker? Take the money, be schmoozed, ignore questions about his bank going bust, let your ex-wife take another loan, let your daughters take cash gifts, pay back a bit and say nothing. The Duke of York is nothing if not consistent. His only real problem is that he's consistent at making bad choices, and perhaps in time the worst of all will be when he decided not to relinquish his mother's hand at the Westminster Abbey Memorial for his father, to let her be led to her seat by someone else as he quietly slipped into his own. Instead, Andrew kept her hand, eyeballed the Dean of Westminster into backing down, and flaunted the head of the Church of England in front of a bank of TV cameras, in the full knowledge that his father's memorial would be reduced to a news item re-upping allegations of sexual abuse. Worse than the public criticism, though, was the well-briefed fury of Charles and William, the next two monarchs who will not be as forgiving as the current one, and then the entirely coincidental revelation that Andrew had not mended his ways and had become embroiled with another scandal. This time it's a court case in which he, his ex-wife and both his daughters are alleged to have been the beneficiaries of a grand swindle. A Turkish banker allegedly persuaded a Turkish millionaireess to trust her cash to him, and she's told the court that he used the money to buy influence for himself with the royals. The Turkish banker was applauded at the prince's now defunct Pitchett Palace initiative, and around the same time, Andrew received £1.1 million, his ex-wife £225,000, and his daughter Eugenie a further £25,000. The millionaireess says she was told the money was for a passport. Coots says they were told it was to pay for Beatrice's wedding. This is despite the fact a passport cost £75.50 and Beatrice married a millionaire. Andrew has now repaid £750,000, but a further £350,000 is unaccounted for. The Duchess of York has refused to return her chunk on the grounds it was paid for her work as a brand ambassador for a green energy company, even though it doesn't seem to be benefiting much from the connection. Beatrice's friends have described her as completely unaware of how her wedding was paid for, while Eugenie has let it be known she spent the £25,000 on a surprise birthday party for her mother. And the question must now be asked of the entire family. What is it about dodgy money that attracts you? Because if a £750,000 bill for a wedding was settled by a Turkish political exile, any other bride would know about it. If any other woman got six-figure sums from her ex-husband's chums, she might wonder why. And if any one of us wanted to throw a surprise party and found it cost the same as a new car, we'd throw a smaller one if we didn't have the means to pay for it. Now, the royal family finds itself in the unenviable situation of having paid £7.5 million between them to make a scandal go away, just as the Duke of York manages to drive them smack bang into a new one, one which makes them look entitled, opportunistic and desperate for cash to supplement a lifestyle they cannot afford. At a time when the rest of the nation knows to the nearest penny what they can afford and are turning off the heating or adjusting their shopping habits to scrape by, the fact that the future royal family can't imagine a wedding that costs less than three quarters of a million pounds is not going to improve its long-term chances of survival. 
The timing of this court case, which has rumbled on for a couple of years, suddenly being made public in the week after Andrew embarrassed his relatives, is interesting. And it may be linked to the fact that the Duke, who just a few months ago confirmed his public appearance at the memorial would be the last, is now reportedly considering smearing his pudgy chops across the Derby, a Falklands anniversary event and the Platinum Jubilee. Why would a man who vowed to step away from the spotlight now be so intent on hogging it? Prince Andrew is a true pauper prince, a man of poor wit, poor talent and poor judgment. All that makes him rich is his title, and after giving up every other honorific, his HRH is the one thing he's held on to. He's not allowed to use it, but he does still have it. He also held on to his daughter's titles and other siblings relinquished them in favour of a more normal life. He fought for his daughter's royal security when it was costing a million pounds a year and creating bad news as Met police officers were forced to trail after two girls on their gap yards. For all the criticism levelled at Harry and Meghan for trying to trade off their royal titles, Andrew and Sarah of York have done exactly that for decades and with far more disastrous consequences. It perhaps explains why she's still Sarah of York. You'd want to change their name if it would cost you the chance to earn 225 grand without having to go down the pit. Having lost his reputation, his ski chalet, millions of pounds and the trust of most of his wider family, Andrew seems to be intent on reinventing himself. Not as a changed or chastened man, but as a prince who needs to show no humility or shame. With a queen by his side, Andrew can try it. But he's underestimated two things. The first is the fury of the British public, which does not forgive sexual misconduct in public office that easily still less so when it involves someone legally a child. And the second is the ruthlessness of monarchy, the one quality which has been passed through that family since William the Conqueror. Charles may go easy on his younger brother, but William seems to feel nothing but scorn for playboy princes with dubious means of financial support. There will not be space on William V's balcony for Uncle Andrew, nor much patience with the York family's inability to adjust their lifestyle to suit their income. Andrew is therefore working against the clock. If being a prince is what turns a buck, then how much of a prince can he be in the time his mother has left? The answer must be, for as long as her family lets the Queen be so exploited. Hello. Because I'm off this week, we can't bring you another up-to-date version of the Fleet Street Fox column. But instead, we're going to bring you a golden oldie back from January the 24th, before the war in Ukraine, before fines started being issued for Partygate. It's about the Conservative Party and how they're doing in the polls. And uh, I think it's mostly turned out to be correct. So let's go back and read it again. The Tories don't lie. They're just very relaxed about the things that matter to everyone else. An icy blast is blowing through the Conservative Party, making them shiver and sending an unwelcome draught up the Prime Minister's knickers. Islamophobia, sexual harassment, boozing at work, breaking the rules, giving millions of pounds to mates and failing to chase billions of pounds worth of fraud was all working just fine for us last year, they mutter, perplexed. How come the Brexit boiler has suddenly packed up? We're not doing anything different. Now the Tories are weighing whether to turn the spending taps on or off when they can't afford to do either. How much red meat to feed the backbenchers when all there is in the fridge is pure Brexit gristle. 
and how they'll survive the looming energy crisis, which is sucking power out of the Prime Minister like a three-bar heater on a prepayment tariff. While everybody else is counting the cost of heating, the Tories are arguing about whether to cut 5% off VAT on energy bills. It's the only way they can tweak the price, having stripped out the nation's gas storage reserves and flogged off the utilities. While we're searching for yellow-stickered food in the supermarket and watching the price of staple foods like rice and pasta rocket by more than 300%, they're whining and dining people at private members' clubs and holding champagne sessions with MPs who might support a leadership bid. And while 3.7 million clinically vulnerable people have been told to keep shielding from COVID, everyone else is told to forget the rules which are coincidentally proving an embarrassment for the Prime Minister – precisely because he told others to do what he wouldn't. These things have all happened before. It happened after Black Wednesday and Tory love children and toe-sucking and cringe-making family photo calls at the Garden Gate. But the Tories have asked their neighbour, Sue Gray, to see if she can figure it out. There are those who'll say this is just the Tory way, that they lie, and lies always choke the liar in the end, like a Greek tragedy where your sins get stuck in your throat. But the essence of conservatism is for things to remain pretty much the same for as long as possible, for the world, with all its faults, to be conserved. And in order to look at the world and see little wrong with it is a feat that cannot easily be performed by the poor, sick, black, young, students, NHS staff, blue-collar workers, shop staff or children. By comparison, if you're rich, healthy, homeowning, white, older, or someone whose working life has been altered by anti-smoking laws, anti-booze laws, health and safety requirements, or a drop in manufacturing, then it's very easy indeed to think things would be better if you just rewound it all a few decades. Nothing in there is a lie. It's just a matter of perspective. And for all of us, it can change as we age, earn, get fired, or fall ill. The Tory party, in normal times, simply reflects its voters. But these are not normal times, and it is no longer reflecting its voters. The Tory shires are in revolt over boozy Downing Street parties at the height of lockdown. The back benches are spitting tax about bullying that's too incompetent to be effective and not thorough enough to frighten them. Officers of the 1922 committee are talking to the police and the newspapers. Even the Daily Wellygraph has sensed that the retired colonels who read it have had about as much of this crap as they can take. Successive elections and repeated three-word mantras from Australian election wunderkinds turned the Tory party into a mirror of itself, full of all the things it had first seen in voters, but without any perspective. It's curved around the character of Boris Johnson and is reflecting him into infinity. Lies, amorality and a shallowness as deep as it is broad, in which no matter how far he digs himself into trouble, there is still no more depth to him. The Tories as a whole are not liars. They're merely, like that iconic image of Jacob Rees-Mogg reclining on the parliamentary benches, supremely relaxed about the things that matter to everyone else. What's rarely in that photo is the current problem they face. Next to Rees-Mogg was Nadine Dorries, then a junior health minister, now cabinet, uh, no, now culture secretary, as always someone who prided herself on working class Merseyside roots. If she was capable of reflecting what the voters thought, she'd have given him a clip on the foot and told him to sit up straight because he was in Parliament. The government of today is filled with people who have never had to buy a 45p bag of rice or work out the percentage increase if a bag half the size now costs a pound. Unlike Grand Diane Skidmore, whose heating bill has gone from 40 quid to 66, they've never been short of 26 pounds. 
They've never had to bleed the radiators or stand in a queue. And if they ever did, they've forgotten. There is no one in government whose idea of a holiday would be a warm bath, like Elizabeth Kimiski, whose, gla- whose gas has been off all winter. There's no one weighing up the best way to help people with nothing who are at any risk of ever finding out how expensive it is to be poor. You might as well expect the designers of the Titanic to put nice cushions in the third-class lifeboats they didn't bother building. That's why the Tories are feeling the chill winds of reality for the first time in decades. They've focused all their energy on a fuel source that has no substance, a man who had no vision beyond a vision of himself. Nothing Sugre says, nothing the Cabinet Office can inquire into, will alter that. The fundamental problem is that what matters to the Tories is power, and what matters to us is heating, eating and fixing what's wrong. And as soon as we get a vote, we probably will.